You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. I've said this before and it's worth repeating. God did not save you to be in ministry for him. God did not save me to be a pastor. God did not save you so you could do some great work and win souls for him. He served you for the sole purpose of having a relationship with you. That was what was on his heart and that's why Jesus went to a cross to bring you back to God, to reconcile you back to God so the two of you could have fellowship. And that's what God wants most of all. What would you say is the sole purpose of God saving you as an individual? Perhaps one of the most common assumptions that we as believers make is that God saved us for great and mighty works. However, as Pastor Dave will teach you in his message today, God saved you for nothing more than to have an eternal relationship with Him. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14 as he begins his message, Disobedience and Deception. First Samuel 14, we saw Jonathan and his armor bearer step out in faith, trusting God for a great victory and that what was accomplished. And we read as the holdbacks, the sellouts, and the hideouts all came out from their positions when they saw that it was their advantage. And when Israel was having a victory, these people came out and joined the fight. We also read as the king, King Saul, made an extremely foolish vow which he said that if anybody who would take something to eat that day would be killed. And unbeknownst to him, his son Jonathan had taken something to eat. And we studied that at length. How the people of Israel rose up and demanded that Jonathan not be put to death. So they kind of interceded for Jonathan and Saul uh, relented. So as we come to the end of chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 47 through 52. We're going to read about Saul's strength. Let's read those. Beginning in 47 of chapter 14. So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attracted and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. The sons of Saul were Jonathan, Jeshuai, and Malchishua. The names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Mereb. The name of the younger was Michelle or Michael. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam and the daughter of Ahinamaz. Those names are great. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul. Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Now there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or valiant man, he took him for himself. So Saul strong. 
Saul is indeed a very, very strong man. He established sovereignty over Israel. What does that mean? It means he became the supreme ruler. He became the supreme authority in all the land, which is what kings do. Remember when Saul was being, when they wanted a king, Samuel told him what a king would do. Well, this is what a king does. A king is sovereign. He has supreme authority and supreme power over all his subjects. Of course, Saul seemed to forget one small thing. Israel didn't belong to him. Israel belonged to God. And God was their king. God was the one that established them. God was the one that kept them. God was the one that protected them. But they wanted a king, so Saul was there. God was the supreme authority. He was still on the throne. This oversight, if you will, is going to end up costing Saul dearly. Going to cost him a lot. Saul fought many wars, successful wars. He had a large, influential family. And the strength of his army grew by sheer numbers alone. Because when Saul saw a young man or a valiant man, he pulled him into his army. What a draft. He had his own personal draft. There's a good-looking guy. You're in my army. Saul went and he took that. That's what a king does. That's what a king who is sovereign over his subjects does. He does basically what he pleases. And Saul's strength was spread over many, many areas, and he used his strength to establish the kingdom. Verse 1, uh, verse 47, so Saul established his sovereignty over Israel. He established his kingdom. He used great strength to establish his kingdom and to establish his sovereignty. And although his strength was far-reaching, it was shallow. It was shallow. Why? Because he was not a man after God's heart. He did not worry about his own relationship with God. He worried about the substance instead of his relationship. He was worried about image instead of his relationship. He was worried about what people thought of him as king other than his relationship with God. And I've said this before and it's worth repeating. God did not save you to be in ministry for him. God did not save me to be a pastor. God did not save you so you could do some great work and win souls for him. He served you for the sole purpose of having a relationship with you. That was what was on his heart, and that's why Jesus went to a cross. To bring you back to God, to reconcile you back to God, so the two of you could have fellowship. And that's what God wants most of all. We're going to find that out later on in the study in chapter 15, when it said, to obey is better than sacrifice. You can do all the work you want. You can do all the things for God you want, and they may be glorious things. But if you're not obeying his commands, you're in trouble. Because Saul wasn't in a relationship with God, because it wasn't his top priority, it would cost him the kingdom. It would cost him everything. Now, we've had a glimpse of Saul's weaknesses in prior chapters. They've been hinted at it. They've been building all along. But in chapter 15, everything comes to a head. And Saul is exposed for who he really is. I like F.B. Meyer. I've quoted him before. He said this, quote, Saul alone was to blame. He had not only missed the greatest opportunity of his life, but he was already enwrapping himself in unbelief and jealousy and the evilness of temper. When I read that quote, I started thinking, 
Oh, how we too missed the opportunities of God. How we too missed the opportunities of God that the Lord is providing us because of envy, because of pride, because of selfishness, and because of jealousy. We miss opportunities that God wants to do for us because we fail to give God credit for what he's doing. We fail to give him glory for his name. We fail to give him credit for what he's accomplishing in our lives. And instead, like Saul, we take credit for things. We take credit for what is happening in our lives. We receive the thanks and we ignore the Lord. We charge into things headlong without consulting God. Whether he wants us to do it or not, we're going to do it. And we charge in, neglecting to, is it his will? We don't know what his will is. Have we sought it? We do things against his will because we fail to listen to him. And then when we confront these things and we're confronted with them, we fabricate. And we actually, we lie. We lie to people close to us. Why? Because we want to look so spiritual. Heaven forbid somebody think we're unspiritual. Well, we want to look so spiritual. That becomes pride. This is a recipe for disaster. It is a recipe for disaster. And this is what we see in Saul's life. Because of Saul's disobedience and because of his deception, God is forced to bring judgment down upon him and take the kingdom away and give it to another. So as we move into chapter 15, we come to a pivotal point in the story of Saul. The Lord gave him chance after chance after chance to prove himself. But he failed miserably each time, even lying to cover up his mistakes and his noncompliance. Saul seemed to always substitute talk for doing. In other words, Saul talked a great game. Saul talked a great game, but the actions were very, very minimal. He never really obeyed. Instead, he would make excuses for his actions, and he would not confess his wrongdoings. And then when he did confess, it was just a slight of confession. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. It wasn't heartfelt. How many of us are like Saul? So many ways. We, too, talk a good game. We make excuses for our sins, and as Saul does, we always seem to blame others. It's always somebody else's fault for my sin. It's always somebody else's fault. I'd never take responsibility. We should. We are more concerned with what they'll say about you. We're more concerned with what other people say, so we always want to make ourselves look good. We always want to make ourselves look good. And it's sad that we want to look good in front of people instead of looking good in front of God. We're more worried about what they think, the people, than what God thinks. That's a horrible, dangerous place to be. Dangerous place to be. No, I'm not saying you we're all there all the time. Sometimes we do that. And we need to introspect ourselves. We need to look at ourselves and examine ourselves. So in chapter 15, there are various stages that lead to Saul's losing the kingdom. And eventually losing his life, I might add. So let's look at verses 1 through 11 in chapter 15. And we'll see the first stage, which is Saul disobeyed God. Saul disobeyed God. Chapter 15, verse 1, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek 
for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both man, woman, infant, nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telemem, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So being students of the word, I don't have to tell you the problem here. You can see the problem as we were reading along. You can see what Saul did not do, what he was told to do, and what he did not do. Now, a little history lesson. The Amalekites were descendants from whom? Somebody said it. Esau. Descendant of Esau. The brother of Jacob. You can find that out in 36.12 of Genesis. And shortly after the Jews left Egypt, the Amalekites attacked them. But they were defeated by the army which was led by Joshua. And according to Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16, the Lord declared a perpetual war against the Amalekites. And Amalekites' ultimate defeat was prophesied by none other than Balaam in Numbers 24.20 and in Deuteronomy 25. So the defeat of the Amalekites was prophesied. But there was a perpetual war. God was not happy that they attacked the Israelites and caused harm. Now, you might have difficulty believing that our Lord would command an entire nation to be destroyed. Just because of their ancestors had done something horrible. But the Lord had been long suffering with these guys. The Lord had been long suffering with these guys for centuries And they turned out to be unspeakably wicked. And we have to go all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant. There's a sentence in the Abrahamic covenant that plays here. When God told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. God is not slack in his promises. He always keeps his word. If you wage war against Israel, you're not waging war against a nation. You are waging war against God. God's perfect plan is nothing, and nothing will prevent God from doing all that's according to his purpose. You may find this difficult. But if you find this difficult, you might have the tribulation period be a hard time difficult. When God brings great wrath upon the world. And those that haven't accepted him, those that haven't chosen Jesus Christ as Savior, are going to be under great peril. Men, women, and children, and even animals. You read Revelation, we looked at it. 
God is a just God, and he will do things according to his purpose. God has been long-suffering with this world forever. The salvation message about Jesus' sacrifice has been carried for over 2,000 years, and it continues to be carried today. Look at the world trends. Look what you see. The world is calling evil good and good evil. The world has completely turned their back on God. They've completely turned their back on God, and God's righteous judgment will prevail. And those who are left behind will greatly suffer. Greatly suffer. What's interesting about those 11 verses is that the Kenites were allowed to escape. But he's very careless about following God's commandments. He destroyed everything that was worthless, but he allowed the king to survive. When we serve the Lord, we serve him at his pleasure, not ours. Just like Jesus prayed in the garden, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Agag's name literally means, I will overcome. What a great name for the king of flesh. I will overcome. I will succeed. I will not be wiped out or easily removed. I don't know about your flesh, but my flesh tells me that all the time. When Saul spared Agag's life, it proved to be the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. The interesting aside here is years later, and we'll study it, years and years later, when Saul gets into this great battle, and he's fighting, and he gets injured, it's none other than an Amalekite that comes up and kills him. Why? Because he didn't utterly destroy the Amalekites. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. This should be a great illustration for us. If we do not kill the flesh, if we do not die to self, the flesh will kill us. We must die to flesh. We think that just because we have certain aspects of the flesh under control and have them in chains, we don't have to worry about them. Oh, no. Jesus said you must deny yourself. We must die to self. Remember what we studied. I have been crucified with Christ. The old man is dead. The new man is living. And sometimes we think our flesh is under control and we fall into the same problem as Saul. But we fail to realize that our failure to deal with the flesh will completely and utterly come back and bite us. It's interesting that in verses 10 and 11, Samuel knew that Saul had disobeyed God's command because God told him. The Lord told him, and look at Samuel. I love Samuel. His heart was broken. He was grieved. He had compassion. He was grieved. What a beautiful example of compassion that is. Samuel was grieved. In verse 11, it says, The Lord is speaking, I greatly regret that I have set Saul up as king, for he has turned back from following me. How can God say he regrets How can God say he regrets? Does this mean God didn't know what was going to happen? Does this mean that God wanted things to happen a certain way, but was powerless to make it come to pass? Is that what this means? No, not at all. I studied this. There's a term, it's called, are you ready? Anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. It means when God explains himself in human terms. We can't understand the things of God, so he explains himself in human terms so that we might get a glimpse and understand that. God knew from the beginning Saul's heart. 
He knew from the beginning Saul's ways. He knew from the beginning Saul's destiny. He sees the beginning and he sees the end. He sees the big picture. He knew that he had already sought for himself a man after his own heart in 1 Samuel 13, 14. He knew that David would eventually be the king. And the lineage would go on to Jesus Christ. See, God had the main plan in focus. He had the main plan in process. He just had to get through the whereabouts to get there. He was arranging everything. It wasn't like he said, oh, wait a minute, Saul's in there. What are we going to do? He knew. He had everything under control. Everything was going according to his plan. Saul's disobedience, though, disobedience hurt God. Don't think that even though God has a plan, that your disobedience doesn't hurt him. Doesn't affect him. And since we couldn't understand what was really happening in God's heart, the closest thing we could come to is expressing it was, I regret that I made Saul king. Saul disobeyed God. Not a good place to be. We've all been there. In the next stage, we see that Saul lies to Samuel. He tries to cover it up. Let's look, let's read 12 through 15. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself and he had gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. 15. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, I have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. (laughs) You got to laugh. In the eyes of his fellow man, in the eyes of the Israelites, Saul was a hero. Saul had won a great battle. He had won a great battle. But in God's eyes, he was a complete and total bust. I'd rather fail in your eyes, my brothers and sisters, than fail in the eyes of God. I would rather fail miserably at anything except in the eyes of God. So what did Saul do? Build himself a monument. Yeah, I'm going to build myself a monument to these victories. Okay. I mean, we studied about Saul's pride before, right? He's going to build his own monument. They're not building the monument for him. Usually, when you want to honor a hero or honor someone, you build the monument for that person. Saul says, I'll do it for you. I'll build my own monument. Come on. Let's build this monument for me. How great am I? How good of a king am I? Come on, let's talk about me for a while. I'm great. Have I told you? Listen, I'm great. So then he he greets Samuel with this hypocritical greeting. He comes to Samuel, blessed are you of the Lord. I've performed all the commandments of God. I did it. (laughs) Excuse me? He had no blessing to give Samuel. He did not perform the will of the Lord. He lied to himself, thinking that he could be gay with deception, and then he lied to the prophet, not realizing that Saul already knew. Saul already already been informed that he didn't do what he was supposed to do. He even tried to lie to God, saying he was going to use the animals for sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, that's what we'll do. Yeah, God, we're going to, yeah, yeah, okay, we're going to use them for sacrifice. That's good, yeah, that's what we'll do, Lord. Yeah. You are sure. Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. Feel free to read ahead in the book of 1 Samuel and find more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages are available to download for free. 
You can even subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. Find links at our website. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. Well, we'd like to invite you to join us in person for church at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Right now, we're following the Lord's guidance and remaining closed. However, we are still holding services online. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 on Facebook and YouTube. Just follow the links you'll find at assurehoperadio.com. We're also streaming our Wednesday service at 7 p.m., along with Bible study and devotionals each week. It's important to stay connected to church community during this time, so we hope you'll join us. Is there anything we could be praying about for you? Please let us know. Call us at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Dave and all of us at Calvary Chapel Cape May in your prayers, that we'll be wise in our decisions, and that we'll stay in tune with the desires of Christ. Thanks for praying, and thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of 1 Samuel, right here on A Sure Hope.